He's to the 45. He's oh, to he's the 50. Oh, no, he's not. No, he's not going to plant it in the midfield of the O, is he? Wow. Yes, he is. Rattler again to throw it. Steps up in the pocket. Throws on the run. All right, guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm your host this evening, Kami Armarabian, joined by Stephen Brown, and we're also joined by special guest Drew Schneider, Clemson's SB Nation site. He is a part of Shaking the Southland. Thanks for coming on, man. How are you doing? Good, man. I'm in Athens right now, so, uh, you know. Oh, very, they're having uh, a good time out there. <laughs> very pleasant vibe around town. Everybody was very hungover uh, today, though, at the grocery store. So Hungover and still likely happy, in a right? good mood. Yeah. Like smiling but looking sick. Oh, I'm, I I remember the last time OE won a national title and how it felt how how that felt. It was, it was that was that was nice. Were you hungover the next day? Yeah, uh 9-year-old me was completely hungover with Hitting my the dad. the sauce a little bit. But yeah, too much I got lost in the sauce. Uh Steve, how are you, man? I'm good. I'm just uh counting on the days cuz I'm going to Phoenix on uh on Friday for no particular reason other than to get away from from Oklahoma. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, love the visor, by the way. It's fantastic. You like that? Yeah. He's made. It's a great visor. Um, I want everybody to know. So, what I was just explaining to Drew prior to we before we started recording was, of course, we provide you guys with a podcast about Lebby's offense and who Jeff Lebby is, and then the the next sequence was to provide all you listeners and viewers with a an idea about Brent Venables. A decade later, uh, of course, he exited OU a decade ago uh, to be with the Clemson Tigers, and then suddenly turned into Brent Venables, Thad Turnipseed, Miguel Chavis, uh, some analyst, and now Todd Bates, and so. Prior to the podcast, Drew, um, a lot of people I saw and a lot of people that I talked to um, for that were Clemson folks mentioned Brent Venables as the best defensive coordinator in the U.S. What makes you guys say that? Because at the very end of his tenure at ODU, he wouldn't necessarily wasn't viewed that way, whereas in 2006, he was a Broyles finalist. Um. So I think Venables really sort of earned his keep uh, when, or sort of earned that reputation um, when he recruited one just stellar defense to Clemson and that defense left and the next defense he put on the field was just as good. Um, And so he was able to consistently throw, it wasn't just, oh, well, they had one really good recruiting year for the defensive line. And once those guys left, you know, went back to, uh, you know, something less than what it was before, but he's just consistently churning out good, uh, great defenses with uh, regardless of the personnel, I guess. And as far as like, um, because Oklahoma fans that are a little bit older, probably know Venable's defense um, pretty well, but there's a lot of new OU fans out there as well. So um, can you kind of hit on like what kind of uh, schemes and personnel they're kind of 
going to see this fall? So super uh, multiple. Um, he'll run a four-man front, uh, which is traditional, you know, two defensive tackles, two defensive ends. Um, usually, usually he runs two linebackers. Uh, so you don't get be more familiar with seeing two sort of thumping linebackers in the middle and then a sort of a uh, third safety linebacker hybrid. But he runs, uh, like I said, sometimes he'll run the traditional four-man front. Sometimes he'll run uh, what he tradition uh, or transitioned into after um, guys like Cleland Farrell and Austin Bryan, Dexter Lawrence, and Christian Wilkins left was mm-hmm. a three-man front because we ran out of defensive tackles. Uh, so he went up to, to Iowa State and took a look at their defense and put in that, uh, you know, the 3-3-5 three, three, uh, mm-hmm. they run. It was mostly a 3-2-6 a lot of the time, too. So he would just run a dime with that because he really likes to get extra safeties on the field because he moves them around so much. Um, so that's um, in the back you're going to see there's a lot of uh, sort of pattern match uh, zone where it's not really zone, not quite man, uh, sort of d- depends on uh, the numbers, uh, where the wide receivers line up. He'll play, you know, cover two and then switch it up, up to a totally different defense after the snap. So he moves moves a lot of people around in both, uh, you know, all three levels, really. And I think that's pretty sound. And I, I, and I think that's like really music to a lot of Oklahoma fans ears after having Mike Stoops. And then Alex Grinch, of course, was no slouch after, uh, uh, after Mike Stoops, but to see Oklahoma go back to something being multiple and something that keeps offenses guessing is I'm sure something that would excite sooner fans. And like I said, you know, Venables was a Royals Award finalist at OU. He actually won it at Clemson. He won a couple a couple titles at Clemson, and he's had actually some uh, some attractions at head coach head coaching jobs in previous years. And finally, he makes this jump. I mean, it's OU. It's where he started his real football career with Bob Stoops and Mike Stoops and all those guys from K State. What do you think this change in like this is like cra- a crapshoot? What do you think this change do you think will be for him like from defensive coordinator to now the head coach program guy while having Ted Roof as his own defensive coordinator? I mean, that's the big question, right? He goes from a guy who micromanages the defense and has one focus, um, and Dabo sort of does his thing and runs point out there and handles all the other commitments and you know brent does his press conference so then he goes and he sits in his office and watches film for you know hours on hours and now it's sort of gonna be changed and he's gonna be in the role of uh maybe not being quite so having i guess the time to to devote to that so um specifically so that's sort of the big question right is can he transition from being a great defensive coordinator to a great head coach uh and uh that's what i guess everybody's gonna pay to find out there was one hire that um particularly excites me and Kamiar, and i think a lot of people around ou's side um and that's thad turnip seed and that's a guy that um not really at the front of the program but seems to get the ball rolling can you kind of expand on what he's going to bring to oklahoma well, what he did at Clemson was he got stuff built. So all those nice, cool facilities, you know, the uh, 
mini golf course and the slide and uh, the rest pods and all the other sort of stuff that uh, extras that uh, Clemson put in that really started uh, raising their sort of national uh, appeal uh, to players. Um, and that was bad. And I, you know, sort of built all that stuff at Clemson. So I, I kind of get why uh, he's uh, probably headed or why he's headed to Norman to help out Brent. I think he's sort of done what he was going to do uh, facilities wise. And that's from what I understand, that's his real sort of skill and passion. And before Oklahoma officially hired Jay Valai today from Alabama, they brought on kind of like it, people were already knew Miguel Chavis was going to be the defensive ends coach. And people were wondering who the defensive tackles coach would be, who would be coaching the interior part of the defensive line. They, you know, Bates name was floated around for a bit, but then it felt like a smokescreen. There were several other defensive tackle coach names out there, even like, even like talking with NFL level coaches. And then it ends up being, Todd Bates, like everybody thought, just like at the very beginning of the OU coaching search in which a lot of people thought it was Venables and then there were a lot of smoke screens. Uh, Bates was a name that never went away, just like Venables' name never went away. Um, tell me about Shavis uh, and Bates and what kind of athletes really Bates turns out and how significant you think he is maybe to Clemson's success along with Burn Venables. Um, well, Bates was somebody that's added a, a little bit later. So he hasn't been with the program uh, as long as a lot of the other uh, assistant coaches. I think he was added two years ago um, and from Jackson, uh, Jackson State or Jacksonville State. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, he killed it recruiting. That was his, uh, he came in and that was the big question when the people hired him because, you know, he played at Alabama. He's one of Dabo's guys. Uh, and that Dabo likes to hire that, um, and, uh, he just went out and signed like Brian Brzee, uh, the, the number one defensive tack or player in the nation overall, mm -hmm. you know, and obviously Venables helps that a lot. And, uh, you know, everything that Clemson has been helps that, um, just where he was from, uh, Brzee is from Clemson recruits pretty well, but still he came in and just started signing, you know, five-star, high four-star defensive tackles. Um, and so that's sort of, I think he was the rivals that had him as the uh, 2019 recruiter of the year. Uh, and so, I mean, that's, that's in a short period of time, he sort of established himself as a guy that can go out and find uh, and, and sign or help sign top level talent, not, you know, try hard guys that might, uh, be something in two years, but guys that can come in and be instant impact players. Mm. So, um, you know, we were all real happy with Todd Bates until he left. And now, <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as his, uh, you know, importance to Clemson uh, overall, uh, you know, he's a good coach. Uh, Dabo had nothing but good things to say about him. Uh, and he got sort of, maybe jumped over by and when the defensive coordinator uh position at clemson opened up and he didn't get a piece of that action uh it probably made heading to uh, oklahoma look a little uh, more uh appealing uh and so um yeah good coach um clemson always has good defensive tackles 
and that's a staple of the uh, Venables defense. Um, if I would say that any position has been one of his signature positions, people don't really think about defensive tackle, but that's really where his defenses have been good with some of his best talent. Um, and so, you know, trust Bates to do that. It is interesting because uh, at Clemson, Venables did not hire the staff there. So Bates was 100% a Dabo hire, if that makes sense. Well, that's interesting to know that Dabo would be the one that would hire him. Um, and then Venables, I'm sure he would have some say, be so adamant that, like very adamant that Turnip Seed came with them. And then the next thing was Shavis. The next thing you know, you see a picture of all three of all four of them together inside of some random like room. I don't know, even know what it was. It was like some really dim room and like, Oh, we're here. And it was just <laughs> re- a really interesting and kind of weird thing. So that's really interesting to hear that Dabo was the one making the hires, especially upon the, along the defensive front. Yeah. One thing in particular that's probably not going to win many hearts um, as far as just like Oklahoma Oklahoma fans and Clemson fans getting getting together would be uh, Jaron Canick's recruitment. Uh, how how was that on the Clemson? Because on the Oklahoma side, um, it was about a two three week ordeal where we kind of had a good idea he was heading to Oklahoma. Um, but what what was that like on the Clemson side? Um, we were, I, I don't think too many people were surprised. Uh, you know, he just kept, he kept it low key out of the, out of the people that left. I think that was the one everybody kind of expected. I mean, he went out, kid from Kansas goes out and gets another Kansas guy. I mean, and now instead of having to go to Clemson, he just has to go a little further South to Oklahoma. So I, I think, I think out of a lot of the, uh, out of the four or five defensive uh, defections off that class, I think everybody was, as soon as it was announced, everybody sort of had their eye on that. I was thinking it's probably going to uh, end up at OU. And just, you know, I guess the way he did it was different, obviously, than you'd see most people do, as he just didn't say anything and sort of just started going to OU. So, yeah, that was the weird thing on OU's part, too. It, like, you, he enrolled at OU. And then, like, there was no commitment. There was no public anything. He was going, he was already enrolled for, for the spring semester. And then the next thing you know, an edit comes out. And he's like, oh, by the way, I'm committed to OU. <laughs> and here's how I'm here now. It was a strange ordeal. I kind of feel like Venables wanted to keep all that real quiet because he'd been talking so much about how much he respected Clemson and, what, and was trying to convince all their flips <laughs> to stay there and with the subtext sort of being that we all sort of knew that at least one player was definitely going to probably come with, or definitely coming with him to OU. Yeah. And it's interesting to see that like that indeed do Clemson fans think that Venables was genuine in that kind of portrayal of what he is as far as I'm going to try to convince all these Clemson commits on the defensive side of the ball that may decommit, try to keep them committed to Clemson. Do you, what was that? Do you think that was genuine or do the fans think that was a genuine action or statement? Yeah, we, I, I think, I think you probably, I don't think they were going to OU. So I don't think it was going to cost him anything to tell them to stay with Clemson. Uh, over, you know, I guess what Alabama and 
uh, Michigan. And mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, I think he probably talked to him and, and, and tried to get him to stay. I think, I mean, they were all the three main players that other than connect, they left for all IMG guys and they all sort of just fell like dominoes and that sort of happens with, you know, IMG sometimes. That's interesting. I, I only ask because of course, like, Oklahoma gets ditched high and dry by their head coach on the day that you can finally do in in-house recruiting again after the dead period's over and the other guys out there uh Riley's out there like the day one trying to flip recruits immediately which is such a a turn a turn of um uh, type of coaches or and or people or maybe you know like if Venables had more vested interest any new guys more guys might follow and we might be talking about something different but this this question has nothing to do with you. Um, it's I'm, I'm trying to settle a difference of thought of me <laughs> and a, a colleague. In your opinion, do you think Clemson is a blue blood program? <laughs> I've, I've had this discussion before, probably with somebody, uh, maybe your colleague. Um, I don't know. Probably if blue billet means you won a lot of football games in the seventies, then I don't think so. Uh, but I mean, consider they've been probably the, uh, them in Alabama have been the most consistent team over the last decade. And I guess I'm mm -hmm. okay with that seeing as how I'm living in this decade. So, uh, you know, I don't know if, if they, if they meet the mythical blue blood uh, criteria with three national championships, they kind of took the 90s off uh, and sort of half of the 2000s. So I, I get Same. It. <laughs> <laughs> that's That's interesting. So what teams to you would you consider a, a, a blue blood program? Because, I mean, some folks might say, oh, Clemson's a new money program because, like you said, they kind of took the 90s off just like OU did. Um, and pretty much, you know, they, they were, they had a lull in the 2010s for a little bit. Uh, Clemson has definitely now several more national titles after Sweeney became head coach. Um, and they've kind of like, it looked like they were kind of building like a dynasty with their blue chip ratio, not even being that high, which is actually really, really impressive if we're considering that. Um, so to you, like who are blue blood programs? Like, like, because when I asked, you didn't seem like you didn't give me a defiant. You didn't give me a defiant no, or you didn't give me a really exaggerated yes. Like what? What, what is your what is your true opinion on blue bloods? And do you does it even matter in your opinion? I mean, it, to some extent, it matters because for the most part, it, you know the what you would probably consider blue blood programs. Those those names still carry some weight uh overall uh maybe more so than even a team like clemson who's uh you know recently i mean anybody any recruit right now that is going to go to clemson is known clemson is one of the most dominant programs of their lifetime Very so uh i mean i don't think that it really particular matters uh what happened 20 when I was in school? My first game was the first Tommy Bowden uh, game against Marshall, and we lost. And we kind of all thought that was okay. So we've come a long way. 
<laughs> so I'm not that old. Uh, so uh, we've gone from uh, being okay that we lost to Marshall, but it was kind of close to, uh, you know, where we are right now. Uh, I think what for, for Clemson, and I'll get to, I guess, the other blue buzz in a second, but I guess what bothers Clemson fans is it's not – it says Clemson's like a new money program, but they forget that Clemson was also – dominant in the 80s as well mm-hmm. uh so it wasn't like you know a team like i don't know oregon who just sort of showed up and you're like oh they've never been really anything like clemson had death valley and and the support and even when they weren't winning clemson always sort of considered themselves a football school i guess but um as far as you know other blue bloods like you know, i think obviously alabama ohio state uh I mean, Oklahoma, but are you are you a blue blood if USC takes your coach? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, apparently Southern Cal now again. Um, I mean, it's sort of the usual suspects, uh, right. but uh, I don't think any of it particularly matters now. I think it's we're in a whole light new wild west of college football, so it's landscape's I mean, definitely changing i, I wouldn't yeah. consider texas a&m a blue blood but they got oh no they got blue blood money that's yeah that's not... fair <laughs> yeah the, the landscape is certainly changing especially with nil uh infusing now fully within the college football world and we 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 talked about this prior to the podcast but i, I found myself on angry clemson fan twitter <laughs> and I guess my, my, the last question before we we, we send you out of here uh, is do Clemson fans hate Oklahoma <laughs> now or like, is it just a small subset of just angry Clemson fans that are there? So we kind of hate everybody. Like, <laughs> like, like Clemson is definitely not like we hate all the teams in our conference. Uh, like you will never find the Clemson fans do not want like in, in any circumstance like NC State to ever win a football game ever. It doesn't matter. Like same Georgia Tech, we'd prefer they lose all their games. Like uh, you know, so we probably do hate o- Oklahoma, uh, <laughs> but it's not. I hate everybody. Clemson plays. That's kind of the fun part of being a fan. Is, hitting your opponent. Uh, and so Venables, uh, Venables leaving. I don't think that hurt too bad. I think people got a little uh, bent out of shape when Chavis posted that, you know, that defense wasn't staying in South Carolina uh, mm. or so- something to that effect uh, mm. on Twitter. And I think people may have, Clemson fans might be a bit sensitive sometimes and got real upset about that. Uh, and then with Bates, obviously, sort of coming, I think that legitimately surprised a lot of people. So, I don't think Oklahoma is on the Christmas card list. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think it'll come up uh, to anything other than sort of distant hate from a distance because I don't, unless you know, both teams get it together and play in the college football playoffs, which should be fine with me. Uh, I don't see a foresee a Clemson OU 
uh, matchup unless is there still a Russell Bowl somewhere? If we both kind of aren't good. I don't want to talk about it. Go <laughs> <laughs> Russell Athletic. No, that was that was the start of the dynasty, baby. It really was, yeah. 2014. Just catapulted us to yeah. to, to heights unknown. It was 2014, and then the very next year with Baker Mayfield, a different quarterback. That was a those mm-hmm. were those were some special years when that was, that was when Clemson's blue chip ratio was was especially just like OU's and OU OU's offensive line just couldn't hang in the second half, and they're and, and Dabo called the defensive tackle fake punt. Yep, uh, yep. That was uh, you don't see that Dabo much anymore. He's a little more comfortable <laughs> with his talent level to be uh, calling that uh, play these days. But yeah, no, there was a little. Uh, uh, OU rivalry there for a couple years, and then we sort of kept ending up on different sides of the uh, college football playoff bracket. Yeah, we yeah, never that's, saw, that's and right. we never saw y'all in the finals. Always, so always kind of floating yeah, around. We were, yeah, well. we were looking for you. We just never, <laughs> we never, never got there. there. Never made it over the hump. It's close. It's close. We're a squib kick away. <laughs> Damn it! All right, we kept getting Notre Dame, so that was you know that's that's prefer preferable. Yeah, yeah, right. I can imagine. I can imagine. When you get Notre Dame, thank God. Okay. Oh, man, Drew, thanks for coming on, chatting with us about Venables, Bates, and all these dudes. Really appreciate you for coming on. Tell everybody where they can find your stuff and everything else. Oh, man. So you can find me. I write for a bunch of sites because, you know, my wife uh, pays the bills. <laughs> <laughs> and so I write for Shaking the Southland, which is Clemson site. You can find me. I write about basketball. And I also spend a lot of time talking smack about our opponents. I think I've said some terrible things about OU in the past. So Fair. Just, no, it's, uh, it's all good. Um, all right. For Hammer and Rails, uh, which is the Purdue site. Uh, and I talk basketball and football and do some podcasts. And I write for Bring on the Cats, which is the Kansas State site, which is how I really hate Oklahoma now. So uh, Fair. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They don't like y'all at all. Like, I mean, Clemson yeah. Twitter is upset, but uh, Kansas State Twitter is uh, – militant at the moment guys just be careful yes i can I, I can imagine i can imagine it's it's not it's not a good time but you, you left the conference and you took their favorite son it's just <laughs> it's not it's not good times. oh i didn't even think about that yeah you didn't think part. about yeah. that did i didn't even think about that second yeah. part till just now yeah i yeah good old boy from salina kansas <laughs> i i i did not even make that connection till just now that makes a lot more sense, especially yeah. now. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Drew bringing it full circle with us, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> but, man, thanks for co- hopping on. We'll hopefully in the future see you down the road, maybe in a game. Maybe we can hate on each other and podcast again. We'll see what happens. All right. Sounds good, man. Take it easy. All right. See you. Okay. So, Stephen, what do you think about – Drew just said about Clemson, about Venables, about Chavis, about <laughs> Bates. How are we feeling, man? I think the stuff about Chavis was interesting because we didn't really expect it to be that big of a hire um, when it was first announced because he really hasn't been a position coach. He's just been there in the like an analyst role, um, quality control role. So um, I thought Clemson fans getting a little bit mad about that probably showed how valuable he was to the Clemson program. Um, the other thing is just the, the cultural difference between like big 12 football and ACC football. 
There's mm. just like something, there's something different about it because in the big 12, you kind of know your fans, like everybody doesn't really like each other, but you have groups of people you can tolerate. Like in Oklahoma's instance, Iowa state comes to town. Those fans are pretty cool. TCU comes to town. Those fans are pretty cool. Go to Texas. Texas fans suck. It's it's everybody knows everything, but there's like a there's a camaraderie almost to it, and it doesn't seem like there's that in the ACC. I thought his comments on Turnip Seed were so funny because it it is the exact stuff that you've been <laughs> telling me about him. He's like he just gets shit done. He builds things, and that's what <laughs> and that's what makes him so good at the program. I thought that was really interesting because like that's realistically what he's here for is to make the facilities better, to build bigger facilities that you know we've talked be- behind the scenes about and all this other stuff. Um, man. I didn't even think about what Drew mentioned in Oklahoma taking Kansas's own son from Salina, Kansas, and then yeah. leaving the conference a year later. I didn't. I did not even connect those two dots, and now it makes me feel like a little worse. And uh, not really. I don't know, man. They they really, really like once Kansas State had that opening for just a moment. Uh, People were like really riding hard for Brenton Venables to be the new head coach at Kansas State before they hired Kleiman. And it just now that makes a lot of sense. That makes so much more sense now. Well, not to be mean to like Kansas State fans, but um, it's just a different kind of job. Like Kansas State, you go there's a head coach, you're probably going to be there for the rest of your life, I would assume. Like that's just a job where you just don't really move. Like they're going to just keep you in there. And, and Venables was entertaining jobs. He obviously offered uh, or said Auburn was interested in him. Um, was it last year? I believe. Yeah. yeah. So he was getting attention from, you know, mid major programs, sec programs and Kansas state really doesn't offer you that much as far as just competing for championships. That's fair. Um, kind of moving on. I w- I was just hit with this comment not that long ago. Lane Kiffin, let's say Lane Kiff, uh, Lane Kiffin decides to take the or okay. Uh, this is this this is how all these rumors started. Some guy on a podcast said Lane Kiffin was rumored to the Vikings, and suddenly now there's like nine different people suggesting. Oh, by the way. There's this rumor out there that Lane Kiffin's gonna go to the Vikings, <laughs> and if like let, let's say that rumor does actually come to fruition, let's let's say that's actually a thing. The very the very first thing that Stephen Willis said uh, last week about Ole Miss was that the first call that they the Reb the uh, Runner Rebels would make at if Lane were to leave would be the Levy. Do could you see? Levy jumping back to Ole Miss as a head coach if all that were to happen? Uh, you know, there's a chance he does it. I don't think he'd do it in one year. I think this is his year to really solidify himself as a guy that can run his own offense. Um, you look at his jobs in the past, obviously he's had the help of Heupel, uh, most recently with Kiffin. This is his chance to really solidify himself as a guy that can run an offense and it's really put his stamp on it. Um, 
so I don't think he would jump right away. It's possible. I mean, I mean, money changes everything, but um, he could really be a candidate for much higher jobs um, if he succeeds at Oklahoma. I think that's fair. I just know that I mean, even Stephen Willis said it last week that Ole Miss folks down there love him, and they, I guess, apparently did a lot more than people let on as far as his duties as a, what a traditional offensive coordinator would be asked to do. And so that's something that you really want in a coach. That's something that you're getting in a Jeff Lebby. But I just wanted to see what <clears throat> Brent, Brent Venables was a decade later because I think it's so interesting that they, you know, one year you still don't have the amount of bodies on the inside on the interior defensive line. So the man goes to Iowa State to John Haycock and learns about the 335, except again, Venables is always going to have those linebackers on the field in those safeties, those big, those kind of like hybrid safeties on the field. So he's kind of got like two and a half linebackers on the field at all times for a, a three, three, five. So I think it's so interesting um, in the way in which like we all knew that he was multiple crazy multiple. There's a lot that the defense <laughs> is going to have to learn in the spring and in the summer. And you're counting your stars that your lucky stars. At Oklahoma isn't starting off with a, you know, a team like Ohio state, like they have in, in the past, however many years, because the defense is going to have a lot to learn. But I, I, I do think it's really, really interesting that he still is a guy that's really, you got to have, Two linebackers, they're going to try to have four down linemen as much as possible and a roaming guy that's a safety, just that rover spot. And But you mentioned you mentioned kind of money, big money for Levy down the road as a, as a head coach. And let's talk about, you know, transfer portal, transfer portal NIL money. I, I think that's something that, that, that's been mattering. And things are going to get weird and a little bit uncomfortable with players going out of Oklahoma via the, via the transfer portal, people coming through the transfer portal over the next really week. And then I imagine in the summer is in the, in the, at the end of the spring semester as well today, Oklahoma finds out, I mean, and it's inevitable that Caleb and Mario Williams are transferring. I mean, you people have seen, the image of Caleb um, in a USC uniform being passed around the <laughs> internet. Uh, you know, Mario Williams was visiting Texas, which makes you sick to your stomach just a little bit. You wish you would just stay there where Caleb is going over Texas. And then you have McCutcheon actually effectively enter the transfer portal today. And I was kind of tipped off by one of our one of our followers on Twitter. I imagine they listen to the podcast. Uh, his name's Tim Bailey regarding um, uh, uh, Jay Valai in Alabama. And McCutcheon was not very fond of the way Texas recruited him, or I guess he wasn't very fond of Valai when he was being recruited uh, by Texas when he was still in high school. And then, of course, uh, McCutcheon uh, commits to Alabama. Uh, people forget that McCutcheon was originally an Alabama commit, and then Jay Valai becomes the Alabama quarterbacks coach after turning down the Eagles, and I think the Texans too as well, to mm. join Nick Saban. And suddenly, McCutcheon decommits from Alabama and goes to OU, and then I guess on some sort of, I, I don't, I, I think it was like a, a Twitter spaces or a Twitter something, and some people were just asking McCutcheon, like, why is 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 Valai that bad 
And his, his answer was yes, Valai is bad. <laughs> and so like, what I don't get though, is this has, this feels weird, like weirdly personal to me uh, about the recruiting stance and everything else. Cause it, it can't be coaching because he's never been coached by the man. And secondly, I mean, it, it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense for him to really, really not like a guy that he's never been coached by. It, it, it just seems oddly personal. Well, do you have any sort of take on that? I don't have any sort of inside knowledge on what's going on there. I'm not exactly sure where the uh, where it all started from. Like, was it a bad in-home visit? Was it just See, they I never made a connection when that's he was on the campus? Thing. It's so odd because, I mean... Valai's already been with two NFL programs. He's or is been, it like his high school coach doesn't like him, so he doesn't like him, something that, like that. Yeah, that that's probably that that could be a thing. He is from the DFW area, and it's it's just so weird because he's had two NFL jobs. He's worked his way up in the college ranks. He turns down two NFL jobs to go join Nick Saban. I mean, clearly he's cut his teeth. Clearly he's a good he, he's he's known as a great recruiter. He's worth his medal as far as the NFL is concerned, as far as cornerbacks and defensive backs, and as far as Nick Saban is concerned, and who has put, you know, quality defensive coordinators as now head coaches that have won national titles. Uh, he, I, I would think he would be a you know, kind of a home run hire for the defensive backs that OU realistically hasn't had a real cornerbacks coach as a cornerbacks coach in quite some time. And so I just think it was just very odd in how that was kind of portrayed. I don't think he's going to ever get into it. He literally in his edit today said he's not there for questions, but it's just really intriguing to me that, you know, him entering the portal, it's just a very weird situation. And then, I mean, of course his name had been floating around for a minute, as far as a guy to watch for the transfer portal. Do you think that's one of the reasons why Justin Harrington is maybe now staying put at Norman? Um, potentially, but I also think that Justin Harrington probably didn't get the reception from the transfer portal like he was expecting. That's fair. Um, obviously a Juco guy, hardly played at all at Oklahoma. Your options are going to be pretty limited, I would assume. Like no one's just going to take you just to take you because of the, the sticker on your helmet. So, um, I would assume that Justin Harrington probably got some looks from some smaller programs and he thinks he's... Because he's at Oklahoma, he thinks he can just kind of transfer um, to like some mid majors, and and that will be that. But uh, these coaches do their homework; they're not just going to bring in a guy that they don't really know anything about. There's no film on him, really. Mm-hmm. So I would assume he just returned to Oklahoma because that's his best option. And he came to Oklahoma while being in, uh, and he got injured like immediately. Well, right? he had the knee injury. Or was he already injured? Right. I think he was playing through it and they got to Oklahoma. They did like an evaluation, um, said, Hey, you need to have some knee surgery. And that kind of, that was it. Slowed everything. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's, that's interesting. And so, I mean, I just mentioned that Caleb and Mario Williams, as we all know, are imminent transfers out of Norman in the end. Uh, of course, once Lincoln around the left, no, nobody's surprised. I mean, no, we are not surprised here. Uh, as this situation though, over the last, over the course of the last week, OU starts classes in quite literally a week because I mean, of course they would start classes on the 17th, but that's Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So classes resume on the 18th. As the situation has evolved with Caleb Williams, 
what are your thoughts on it? Like, has it changed at all? Has it been, has it turned more sour? What, what, what do you think? It's changed a little bit because I kind of thought he would have given Oklahoma a better look, especially with Levy coming in and bringing his offense to Oklahoma. Um, and that just never really came to fruition. It just always seemed like he was one foot out the door. Um, and I think that probably isn't all Caleb Williams. It's probably more of his dad saying, hey, don't get too invested here because – we're going to go on the market and we're going to see what we can get. So, um, you know, you can phrase it as NFL. Um, like what is, what is my best chance to go to the NFL? Mm-hmm. That's really not a good argument because when you look at NFL quarterbacks, they come from all over the place, big, small programs. You've never heard of programs. You wouldn't expect programs that don't even have, you know, they're not competing for championships or conference championships. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of there. So yeah, there's no great formula for it. It was always going to be an NIL thing. And I think um, in that regard, it, it kind of sucks in a way. It's kind of a sour feeling because you don't really want to see that be the norm in college football. Especially on the Oklahoma side of things, as far as like now coming away, looking like the poor boys in the entire situation, especially. But at the same time, Oklahoma's compliance is really, really strict on what they are willing to do and wanting to do. Uh, and so, like I said, we were, when Drew was on, I mean, NIL's changing the whole landscape. I mean, the Blue Bloods will always be Blue Bloods. And uh, Oklahoma will always be Oklahoma, like Bob Stoops said. Um, I, I, of course, I don't think the Sooners will go anywhere. They'll still recruit highly because they're Oklahoma. They'll still win. I mean, this year, g- even coming into this year with the amount of uncertainty, I think there's a lot of people, especially in the Big 12. I mean, in the Big 12, there are a lot of teams losing a ton of talent. Um, Texas is kind of on the rise a little bit, especially, of course, if Mario Williams ends up transferring there. And but like you look at Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Baylor, mm-hmm. all those guys are losing a ton of talent. Kansas State's losing uh, Skylar Thompson, who is doomed OU for however many years. <laughs> and and the season to me is a season of how well have you recruited in the last four years and how disciplined is your team. And that's what I think this next season, the Big 12 is going to boil down to before OU eventually jumps into the SEC. Um, another r- name that's been floated as a portal guy, as, as a portal guy, I mean, has been Clayton Smith on top of kind of McCutcheon. In your estimation, why might you think, what what are arguments for Clayton Smith to maybe leave? And what are arguments for Clayton Smith to maybe stay in Norman, I guess? Uh, we can start with the leaving. I think it's pretty obvious that he was a Jamar Kane guy. Um, yeah. He was an edge guy, 225. Right, right. And, uh, you know, Oklahoma had always been in his recruitment. They've always kind of lingered in the background. And then Jamar Kane comes in and really puts Oklahoma out front for Clayton Smith, a guy that um, – you know, we kind of thought they had a chance with, but now Oklahoma all of a sudden is the leader and the obvious leader with Clayton Smith. So there is a connection there with Jamar Kane. Jamar Kane leaves, and obviously you kind of wonder what's going on with Clayton Smith's head. Is he going to follow his coach wherever? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's – that's. I mean, it's the same argument for Caleb Williams. Um, he came here for that coach. That coach leaves. You can't really blame a kid for that. So um, as far as staying, I mean, you couldn't really ask for a better replacement – 
um, as far as like a head coach, as far as being a defensive minded head coach um, and a guy that's produced several um, highly touted NFL guys. So especially linebackers, right? Yeah. You kind of, you kind <laughs> of hit the lottery. Linebacker specialist. Yeah. It sucks. Lincoln Riley leaves. Obviously he had something really good going at Oklahoma, but you hit the lottery with a defensive minded coach outside of like Saban. Yeah. It, it's, especially with a defensive minded coach that is a linebacker <clears throat> specialist and OU brings in the linebacker, the linebacker class that they already are along with Deshaun white, who hasn't made any declarations yet. Who knows? He, uh, like, I mean, like the, the clock is ticking, right? I mean, you are going to have to make a decision soon within the next, however many few days. And then along with Danny Stutzman, I think Danny Stutzman is going to piss off Brent Venables, but still because uh, he gets, <laughs> he's just like a goofball. He's going to piss but, off Smitty. But, but still be like one of the elite linebackers, uh, especially in the Big 12 next year, just because of how good of a linebacker he already is. Along with, I, I still don't know what they're going to do with David Aguebu. I don't even know what they're going to do with Billy Bowman. There's so many different questions that, has that, that that need to be answered in this offseason for Oklahoma. So that's why everybody's so curious about summer ball after after the spring game. And um kind of about the portal, you know, because cause cause Clayton Smith, like he's like a tweener right now now because now he's not really gonna play defensive end for Brent Venables because Venables wants to have four down legit big defensive linemen. And then he wants those those at least two linebackers, and those two linebackers are going to be a little bit bigger as well. And Clayton came to OU understanding that he was an edge. He was going to be a guy on the defensive line, really in that defensive end room, and not necessarily in the will linebacker room. So I'm really curious to see what happens out of that, what comes out of that, if anything, you know. Uh, you know, no news on that front is good news, especially if you're talking about Marvin Mims and all those other guys at OU. And so talking about transfer portals, talking about guys coming in, you've got the defensive end from Hawaii, Jonah Lalu, uh, and you've got quarterbacks with an S. <laughs> you've got Purdy's family visiting Norman today, and they seem super excited about it. I'm talking about Brock Purdy's brother Chuba, who is from who's at Florida State. But also, you've got Dart from USC. OU maybe pulling another like trade with like just a QB swap, except this time it's not with AM, it would be with USC possibly. Uh, Dart maybe coming on the 14th. Any any thoughts on the Hawaii transfer, Jonah Lalu, and then what do you think about the quarterback situation? Because we definitely knew, oh, you wanted to take three quarterbacks. Which would you prefer? What What are your thoughts on both of those situations? Um, you know, defensively, I thought they would go for more of an inside guy because um, you do have Redmond who can probably play that, probably play on the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a couple young pieces here and there that can probably play on the outside, so. I thought the emphasis <clears throat> coming into this first year in the transfer portal for Venables would be we need some big bodies on the inside because yep. if you look at why Alex Grinch does, he kind of plays those power forwards. He plays the smaller, maybe like a bigger defensive end on the inside. Um, so OU in that regard has plenty of bodies that can play um, as a strong side defensive end, weak side defensive end, but they don't have a ton of Venables bodies that can play in the middle. So 
we'll see where that goes. It's going um, to be a tough spring and summer for for those guys with Schmidt. I'm not. I, I'm a lot of eating and a lot of yeah, working out. I'm I'm looking forward <laughs> to the stories that come out of the spring and summer into the fall. Uh, quarterbacks wise, that that gets interesting too. Um, <clears throat> Chuba Purdy, probably the most Big Twelve name you can ask for. Um, <laughs> already had a guy. Already had a guy named Chuba, and you got, and got Purdy. Purdy so. Yeah, he just combined the two. <clears throat> He's an easily he's like a legitimate 6-3-215 quarterback. He's a yeah, kind of a bigger guy than Oklahoma's really used to a quarterback. Both, I mean, Dart's probably 6263 as well, so more of like a pro-style body. Mm-hmm. Um both can use their legs a little bit, but um if you're looking for a higher end guy, I think Dart probably fits that bill a little bit more. Um the one thing you have to watch is how does this affect Dylan Gabriel? I think Brandon Drum hinted that Dylan Gabriel could still just opt out and go to the NFL. So um, I think if they were able to land <clears throat> like a, a dart, Dylan Gabriel would probably go to the NFL. Purdy, I think you Dylan Gabriel probably stays a little bit because I think he would win that job. See, I, I feel like Gabriel is maybe a one and done kind of guy. I think I he has he has a couple years left of eligibility. Mm-hmm. Um, he I think he, he played his first two years. His third year, I believe, was it was cut short by that collarbone injury. Uh, he could apply for a medical registry. He's got the COVID year. He's got whatever. He, he's got he's got like at least three years remaining he, if he wants it. And for me, I always thought, regardless of who comes in, whether it's Dart, whether it's Brock Purdy's brother and Chuba. Um, he would still be the guy considering that he has to, he only has to learn a couple more wrinkles in the offense from Levy's days at UCF where they didn't really use the tight end because that's a hypo thing to mm-hmm. where now they effectively use the tight end that, cause what we saw under Levy when he was coaching under Lane Kiffin. So like, I always felt like he's kind of an extension of Levy on the field and that he was the guy cause he was always one text away. If the Caleb Williams stuff, and the Carl Williams stuff and the NIL stuff went sour. And it, it just felt like he's the guy OU's looking for a younger because both Chuba and Dart are younger guys um, that, you know, Gabriel's going into his senior season if he's not going to take that medical red shirt at this coming season. So I always felt like he was kind of a one-and-done guy or maybe two-years guy, and by that time, Nick Evers is a red, likely a registered sophomore. Chuba is likely to be a junior. You know, it's it's stuff like that that uh, I, I'm kind of thinking of logistically as far as QBs because now, like, it's not the Riley era of quarterbacks anymore. It's not, oh, you're done after your soft, your retro sophomore year. It could be like, oh, now you're going to your senior year uh, in, in, in they're playing the long game at quarterback. So, I'm I'm really curious to see how, how Oklahoma's offensive style maybe sh- it sh- well not maybe does shift after the Riley exit. And so Oklahoma's been mentioned with some other transfer guys coming in as well. Uh, they've been mentioned now that Drew Sanders, a former Oklahoma commit linebacker, now that the national title game is over, Drew Sanders from Alabama is you know a guy that Kobe McKenzie has been tweeting up on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, you got Mike Trigg, who kind of looked at, you know, you know, J- uh, Dart was saying, where are we going? And that, you know, they could be a, a combination pair, maybe like Caleb Williams and Mario Williams. Who knows? 
You've got Mickey Wingo at a defensive tackle at Mizzou, Jackson Player at another defensive tackle from from Tulsa, two very talented guys. Like you suggested, Oklahoma needs bodies in the trenches, in, in the middle of the trenches, on both sides of the ball. They've already got one transfer in from Cal on the offensive line. You need guys in the middle on the defensive line. Uh, you've also got guys from UCF that play with Dylan Gabriel, like Titus, and I'm going to kill this last name. Oh, you <laughs> Adi I, think he's, uh, I think he committed to UCLA. Did he commit to so UCLA? You don't have to worry about the name. All right. I tried my best. Do you, Mokio, Adamalala? Does that sound? Does That's that, not bad. Hey, That's better than I would do. Hey. Uh, Kyron Lacey as another name, a wide receiver from Louisiana, formerly known as Louisiana Lafayette, the Raging Cajuns. Out of all of these guys, do you think, or how, how many of them do you think are realistic and which ones, if he had to choose, would they be? We can start with Drew Sanders. I think um, that's a name that a lot of Oklahoma fans would love to see come back to Oklahoma. Uh, obviously, he didn't really see eye to eye with where Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch saw him as a player. You bring in Venables, obviously, <clears throat> he's going to probably see Drew Sanders as a linebacker. So. That's where he wanted to go to Alabama for Oklahoma. Probably if they offer, I would assume have a, at least a, a chance of getting a visit there. Uh, Michael Trigg is intriguing. I think some, he has some sort of family connection to Oklahoma. So uh, if Oklahoma does land like uh, Jackson dart, then they have more than one thing going for him for Michael Trigg. Um, the other player, or I guess the other name I'm watching is Jackson player. I think, um, He's kind he, of the one that I've been trying to keep an eye on the most, right? Yeah, he's <clears throat> he might be an Oklahoma commit by the end of the week, it sounds like. So um, I don't think anything's just short up yet, but it's starting to trend where Oklahoma seems like a very legitimate player um, for Jackson player. I think... <laughs> no pun intended. I, yeah, I was about to say. I, I think that would be music to a lot of people's ears. I mean... The guy wins all conference honors. Um, he's huge. He's this big stopgap guy. Um, just got a uh, just got a DM from from Tim Bailey that's watching this show. Thank you for watching, <laughs> by the way. Says Jonah Lalu is kind of an interior guy. He's about two ninety five. Um, his two four seven is says two ninety. So he could be a, a, he's an off season away from being legitimate. You know, in, uh, interior guy. Um, who, who do you think starts at defensive ends for OU? I, I know Ian Boyd, who often gets crapped on by several Sooner fans throughout. Through, but he threw out like a kind of legitimate thought on what Oklahoma is next year, as far as defense, as far as the defense. I, like, of course, like there's some things that that he's off. Like Mike Woods is not going to OU. He already declared for the draft. But there's other things that he was kind of like, there were intriguing aspects of what he mentioned about OU, particularly the defense. I'm not really worried about the linebackers. Danny Stutzman there. They've got Aguebu there. They've got Witter there. They've got plenty of guys at Venables. Are, they're they're going to be able to coach up. Uh, you've kind of got, you got Jaden Davis. If you hope, Hopefully he's able to stay. You've got Key Lawrence that says he's there to stay. You got Woody Washington. You got DJ Graham. Now you're looking at the safeties. Can Billy Bowman play safety? Is Justin Brules coming back for another year? Uh, I don't think it's finalized, but it sounds like yes. 
And so like you got maybe a Justin Broyles at safety, which I doesn't, I know that doesn't excite too many Sooners fans, but we'll we'll see what he looks like after again with the summer of Schmitty. Once he starts at taking off muscle and adding speed to guys, like it, it, you're like we going back to the drawing board. Strength conditioning coaches, like Stephen has mentioned on here several times, are the most one of the most important hires next to your head coach because they're around this guy year round, as opposed to somebody that's with your players during just the season and a little bit of time during the off season. Uh, who, who plays, who plays defensive end in, in, in this, in this defense? Is, <laughs> uh, you would want it to be, question. you would want it to be Redmond. I like the idea of, uh, of, of Reggie Grimes. I, I, I like the idea of Ethan Downs, if he can put on several pounds of weight, but like, what, what, what do you think? I think Reggie Grimes probably fits it immediately. He's a guy that showed some flashes this year. Um, could probably easily shift outside and kind of be that <clears throat> that strong side defensive end. Um, Ethan Downs, I kind of wonder where he goes as far as what they do with his body type because he can play linebacker, um, but he could also grow into a defensive end. So he's a guy that you might want to watch this spring and see. Is he going to be like a stand-up guy? Is he going to be like a hand-in-the-dirt guy? Um, Obviously, Marcus Stripling is in there. Nathan Rollins Cabanier would be an intriguing prospect just because of his size. So, um, those are a few names you can probably watch for def- defensive end outside of Redmond. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think all of us would love to see Redmond at defensive end, and you know, uh, you know, Grimes. Oh, who's the kid out of Pennsylvania that Oklahoma just got? Huge guy already as a high schooler. Oh, are you talking about Kelvin Gilliam? Gilliam is mm-hmm. is a guy that. I don't I'm, I don't know if he makes an immediate impact, but I, I definitely foresee Gilliam getting his four games in. He's already huge and, and a wrestler. Uh, he would I'm, fit the Venables mold, like uh, not necessarily a big dude, but you could he could anchor a line if you grow him into it. Yeah, and I, I think Oklahoma, as you've seen with the Mod Moden Moten, I think what you're seeing with with that they're that they're going after with Tabor, those kinds of big, wide-bodied, uh, you know, the play, player from Tulsa, like those big, wide, huge-bodied defensive tackles on the interior in those rush, those speed rushers on the outside that can wreak havoc on defensive end, a classic kind of like, kind of, kind of I don't want to say throwback defense, but that's what it kind of really is going into the SEC, except you're remaining so multiple that you're keeping several, at least three safeties on the field at all times. And so something that I thought was really exciting was that Braden Willis announced on his podcast, I think it's called Podcast on the Prairie, with him and Jeremiah Hall, and uh, or something like that. Is that they it? have a YouTube channel called Per Me as well? So I don't know if they changed the name of the podcast. Okay, um, but Brain Wilson announces he's coming back to Oklahoma, which was like that. We t- we've talked <clears throat> about this. We thought he could be really good, especially in this Jeff Lebby offense. He comes back. Um, you know, Gabriel is or whoever the quarterback is. Like, what your thoughts on Gabriel are? I think he's here for at least a year. Um, Gabriel might have to learn a little more with the tight end stuff because that's something that UCF never really did. Braden Willis, 
I think he could be a huge impact for OU this coming year because he's less of those Y tight ends and more of, more of course of a receiving H back at vertical threat. Um, what do we, what do you think about that? I love the fit for him because <clears throat> he's a guy that kind of makes the offense click. So he's a guy that they can shift um, as an inline tight end. He's big enough to be that blocker. Um, in most situations, maybe you go to like a national championship and he's not going to stack up well against um, like a Georgia defensive end. But um, for where OU is playing in the big 12, he's going to be like the cog that turns everything in this offense because he can be a receiver. He can be a blocker. You can put him in the backfield um, and you can do this and you can go tempo more times than not and kind of stress these defensives out. Um I think um, as far as just being like uh, an impact player, I don't know if we'll see too many targets his way. Obviously, he's going to see more than he has um, this year. Everyone will. Um, But I think he's just going to be a guy that they can do a lot with and they can keep on the field, essentially. I I just got sent a random text message. Uh, It looks like it is from the... Alabama site. I think, I don't know but one of their staff members is saying Drew Sanders is likely to be Oklahoma bound. So who knows oh. that, 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 that could a be little good. breaking news. Yeah. That, that could be, that could be fun. I mean, of course, right now recruiting is fickle. I mean, Sanders was committed to OU for two years and they thought he was going to play tight end. And the next thing you know, he's in Alabama playing linebacker. So mm-hmm. who knows? We don't know. But of course, you know, Venables is stacking those linebackers. <laughs> those up li- too. That linebacker <laughs> room looks pretty. Uh, it's getting pretty, pretty good pretty, now. It's getting pretty dense in there. Um, also, let's talk about the wide receiver core. Weese looks down to Weese is down to stay. Looks like that guy is looks like he's doubling down on staying in Norman. Uh, Trayvon West, Brian Darby, Stoops are guys that definitely won't leave you. Uh, Braden Willis is obviously coming back. Then you look at Jaleel Farouk, who maybe looks like he's coming back. And now, like, you got a lot of eyes focused on Marvin Mims. Everybody's, like, maybe, like, begging to throw the bag at him just to <laughs> stay. Uh, because, like, he's, you know, he's your leading receiver, but he's only getting 40 receptions. How, how is that happening? Why is, why is that happening? That's a thing. And that's an that's a Lincoln Riley issue, and that's a Mims issue. And so maybe you know, of course, like we talked about last week, Lebby's talk talked to more than just Caleb Williams. He talks to we talked to Mario Williams. He talks to Marvin Mims. He's talking to the important guys there. And don't think for a second Kale Gundy isn't in contact with these guys either. And so let's say let, let's just say Oklahoma's receiving core is. Weiss, Mims, Farouk, West, Darby, Stoops, Williams, and Willis, or uh, Stoops and Willis, excuse me. And then maybe a couple of transfers, I suppose, right? Because they're going after wide receivers, some wide receiver transfers. How do you feel about that offense heading into 2022, knowing that that running back spot is still a little bit up in the year? I mean, you've got two great freshmen coming in. Eric Gray is likely to stay because if he transfers one more time, he has to sit out a year. And then if Marcus Major's coming back, um, you, know, you would have five scholarship running backs. Uh, you got an offensive line with two tackles, a center, a guard that's transferring from Cal, and Chris Murray, who's yet to say anything about his decision about coming back. <laughs> I think Chris Murray is returning. 
And, and so what's what's your opinion on the offense for 2022 then? Um, we can assume that Chris Murray does stay. I think that offense probably, I would say like a top 25 offense. Um, you don't have like the go-to CD lamb. Like this is like the guy you have to watch out for. Obviously, we thought Mims was going to be him. Um, didn't really work out this year for various reasons, but um, you have but some he can be that there. guy though, right? Yeah, we've seen him show potential to be an elite wide receiver given the chance. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also have guys like Weiss, um, West, I think could be very good in this offense. Farouk showed some flashes, uh, Darby, another guy with some speed. So this is an offense that. I don't want to get people too excited, but they have a lot of tools that's going to make them special because you have some some ground and pound running backs, you have some speed on the outside, you have some big bodies and Weiss and and potentially like a like a Kyron Lacey could could show up. So there's a lot of tools for this offense, and it's going to just come down to how do they fill in the gaps on the offensive line. So um, they you know they find one or two good plug and play offensive linemen. I think this offense would obviously be the best in the Big Twelve, um, and you know probably get some recognition nationally. And I I just think it's interesting because I mean again classes at OU they start within the week, and if you're gonna transfer somewhere, it's got to happen quickly. And of course, not all universities are starting right after Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I mean, I mean, some are starting a little bit later after the holidays. Every university has different different breaks, and they start and end differently. And so some of these guys, you might be thinking, oh, it's got to happen by Monday, but it's quite possible that they just don't enroll at OU and transfer and go to somewhere else that has a little bit more time as far as into the spring semester. So don't just think because you make it to this weekend without some of these guys maybe transferring out, doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that's one to one that they are indeed staying, but a lot of eyes on Mims. I've heard Farouk has said some positive things to teammates that it would indicate he may be coming back. Um, and I've heard the f- exact exact flip version of that on Mims. Um, so I, I have no idea what to think and no idea what to believe. Do you of those two, do you think it's more likely you split the pair or both come back or both leave? What do you think? I think Mims is more likely just because of the fact that Farouk was so close with Caleb Williams. Um, maybe Caleb Williams finds a spot, hits up his, his guy from his, his recruiting class, and he's in the portal. So um, the one benefit there is you have Kel Gundy, and Kel Gundy, a uh, great recruiter out of high school, but he can recruit his own room as well. And, and that's really what's kind of holding this wide receiver room together. Heck, I mean, like him and DeMarco Murray are the one of the big reasons that held the mm-hmm. damn recruiting class together. So kudos to them for doing that. Um, man, how how busy do you expect this portal to be over the summer or, or at the at the very <laughs> end of the spring? Because Oklahoma still has more work to do post-national signing day, too. I would assume it's pretty busy, especially after the spring games. Um, you kind of see where you're at as far as on the, on the depth chart in the spring game. So, you know, maybe you don't like where you're at. Maybe you're on the two deep, maybe you're, you know, three deep. This isn't the situation for you. I would assume that I think, you know, people are going to look for greener pastures, but coaches will also maybe try to trim their rosters a little bit Mm -hmm. to kind of make way for a big name to come through. So um, I would expect it to be pretty active over the spring and summer. 
I agree. I, I think, again, after the spring, especially after Oklahoma maybe addresses some future needs in the 2022 class, that they're, they're still pushing out offers for 2022. It's really impressive what Brent Venables, he literally hit the ground on that jet running. I mean, they're offering, they're, you see, you're seeing a ton of offers go out for 2022, especially in-state kids. Oh, my gosh, Steven, I didn't even put this on the dock. <laughs> I cannot tell you how excited and how elated I am that Brent Venables is once again prioritizing the Tulsa area for OU recruiting because that has been a linchpin for great talent, whether it's Tulsa, Union, Jinx, Mm -hmm. Owasso, Booker T. All of those schools have been such a linchpin for success and talent that Oklahoma really hasn't been able to dive into, but like maybe a guy from Union. Oklahoma has great connections at Union, but that really seems to be it. Like you don't see guys from Booker T really going to OU. Gentry's committed right now, uh, and, and he and he would be it would be incredible if he stuck. And and that, I'm not saying he's not going to stick, but I'm saying like it's 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 been so you know thin in between those kind of kinds of recruits it's just nice to see him prioritizing in-state guys as well you just saw the offer to the McAllister running back who I think will end up end up playing safety you yeah, uh, McCarty kid yes uh and then you're you're seeing guys like you know you know uh Caden Story and all those other guys from the Tulsa area I it's just it's interesting or not Story Stone uh, it's it's just interesting and it's really nice to see that Oh wow! Some guy really recognizes that the Tulsa area, outside of Tulsa Union, is very important to the state of Oklahoma and their recruiting because all those dudes end up going to. I mean, heck, uh, you had guys going to Ohio State, going to Michigan, and then a, a few, too many going to Arkansas and ending up in the NFL. It's, yeah. it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Well, to even so, Oklahoma State, as yeah, well, you throw them in there. It's just, it's unbelievable to me. And I'm so glad that Venables is now establishing that network back up in Tulsa. That excites me so much. And the last thing I was going to mention today was something that I know you don't pay attention to. And maybe in in the game just ended Uh, the Sooners basketball team. They've won. They, they prior to tonight, they had won uh, three. uh, They won against three top 15 teams. They were twelve and they were twelve and two or twelve and three, heading into uh, Austin to play Texas and some shooty hoops. Uh, they lost tonight against Texas, sixty six to fifty two. They had three top fifteen wins. They went to UCF, who's a tough team, beat them in Orlando. And I was going to ask what they had to do to get ranked in the top twenty five, <laughs> and they kind of laid a little bit of a stinker tonight. But Porter Moser. I mean, like looking like a good hire. I <laughs> like a pretty good hire. First of all, first of all, yes. Second of all, like I'm not saying they're gonna completely fill up the the LNC, but I'm saying like he's done a lot more work in a short amount of time than I thought he would. Is he like a was he like the first Thad turnip seat on campus? I maybe just like a guy that comes in and just gets shit done. I mean, and it's it's the enthusiasm that I think that he reacts with that brings everybody closer together. Because after home wins, especially after those big home wins, 
And even after home wins that aren't ranked, he goes out to the to the student fans and he makes sure to high five every one of those guys and thank thank them for coming out. And it, he he's really just changing the culture around Oklahoma basketball. I mean, like it's it was just so interesting to see Oklahoma against Iowa State the other day down double digits, and I was like, oh, this is not going to look good in the second half. And then Bijan Cortez comes in. And then just plays like a beautiful game of nine minutes straight basketball where he keeps Jordan Goldwire on the bench and wills them to a win. And you just see this different excitement, this different kind of this different kind of attitude around OU basketball than you saw under Lon, than you saw under Cable, than you even saw maybe even under a little bit under under, under Sampson. There's just, it's just a different vibe. Um, and I'm really excited for what he has in store for OU hoops when he is able to actually recruit his own guys. I mean, I know you don't watch too, too much OU hoops, but I mean, it's, it's definitely apparent even for guys that don't necessarily watch that many hoops. Right. Yeah. It's even just talked about like more, like you see it on Twitter more, there's more engagement with the program. Um, Obviously, he's a guy that loves to be in front of the camera. I don't think Lon was a, like a big camera guy. That's I mean, fair. Lon was a great guy, but old school, clean cut, teams try hard. <laughs> yes, he's not like Dab. Like Dabo loves to be in front of the camera. He, he's going to put a face on the program, and I think that's what he's doing there. It also helps when Danny Stutzman's running around the, the LNC like an idiot and stealing the band <laughs> members' trombones and playing them randomly, and then running around with an OU cape on while also like running around with an OU flag. That's, that's also fun. Uh, as, as somebody put it, that's close to us that we talk to all the time. Uh, Danny Stutzman is OU's Gronk. He's that big old meathead, but he's a lovable meathead. That's damn good at what he does. And so, uh, that's all I've got, man. Do you have anything else to kind of plug? Uh, shout out to program guys for the visor. appreciate it. Got it this week, so it's a great uh, visor. If you you like it, I mean, you can just go to their account. I think it's at Program Guys on Twitter, and you can find their shop from there. So, do you think Brent? Do you think Brent's going to be a visor guy? Because like he's been a hat has to be now. See, he he's been the hat guy. He's he wore a visor early at OU, and then he turned into hat guy. He was clearly a hat guy at Clemson. He was wearing an OU hat as soon as as soon as he got off that plane and at the Alamo Bowl, and then Bob literally anoints this guy. He takes with his hat his off and gives him a visor. visor, like 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 he's like cr- like he's crowning Venables as the next as the next man in charge with his own visor. It's like a coronation. It was it was weird to see. It was awesome to see. The crowd was super the hell into it. Venables was laughing as they were just having a good time. You think he's going to go back to the visor or do you think he's a hat guy? Um, you know, I'm all about like the new era thing, like bringing change to Oklahoma. So I think he's going to be a hat guy. How interesting. But if, if you get crowned with a visor from Bob Stoops, it's like, you're almost obligated to just be a visor. At least guy one at that game, point. right? At least one. You do one a year. And Vinny's got a head, head full of hair. He, he doesn't have any bald spots that he needs to cover. I think he's good. Is that a shot at Lincoln? It might be. I'm a, <laughs> a little sour still. But, well, all right, guys. Hey, go ahead and follow us on CrimsonCreamMachine.com. You guys follow us on Twitter at CC Machine. Jack's busy. Uh, follow, but follow him at J. Larry Shields. Uh, you can follow me at Cam Robbie and CCM. You can follow Steven at OU Updated SB. 
shout out to Drew Schneider for joining along, uh, talking some Clemson with us and what Oklahoma's, what they're expecting. And um, Spotify is now doing, now doing stars as well. So if, you know, if you're feeling nice and if you're feeling awesome, go ahead and drop us a five-star rating, not just on Apple and iTunes, but on Spotify. We're on like every podcast app there is. There are Google Podcasts, Stitcher, you name it. Oklahoma, with this podcast is on it. Uh, we, we'd really appreciate it. And uh, well, we'll check you guys later.